Good morning, church. Glad to have everyone here. <clears throat> Welcome to our live stream folks as well and our folks in the Fellowship Center. So it's always good to have family together. We've got about 40 plus, I think, out at the marriage retreat. So uh, they'll all be back, <clears throat> I'm sure. Uh, I'm not sure if there won't be some breaking of speed limits to get back in time for the Super Bowl. Who plans a marriage retreat on Super Bowl weekend anyway? You know, obviously I didn't, they didn't ask my opinion on that. Uh, but by the way, speaking of marriage stuff, uh, Jeremy and Kim, y'all did excellent in the class this morning. It was top notch for those that were in that class. Uh, if not, you can go back actually and watch it, uh, uh, online. It was really, really good. All right, uh, Lindley, uh, Loveland, come on up. She's going to read our scripture for us and get us started this morning. First uh, Corinthians, sorry, First <laughs> Corinthians eight one through two and nine. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. Um, verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Thank you. Lindley, by the way, let's see. Uh, you're at OCS. What grade are you in? I'm in ninth. Ninth grade and uh, on the basketball team. And y'all are in the playoffs, right? Well, good luck with that. That's great. Thank you, and thank you for reading today. Appreciate it very, very much. I have one other thing I uh, want to share with you. Uh, <clears throat> Jeremy sent this to me, and I know you're impressed that I can actually work technology uh here but this is from one of our live stream folks we've been you know a lot of live stream uh, people send prayer requests in and you you guys get them in the emails and stuff and this was from uh, mike uh pampa he said i love y'all so much all the prayers that have been sent up for um uh, cousin channing uh he uh healed him from covid i believe that our god is a great god and hears us Thank you all again. He just wanted to thank the church for praying and for the healing that came about. And so thank you, Mike, for being a part of us, our church family. That's right. <clears throat> Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not Make us in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, Larry Bowles did an awesome job uh, laying out the context of the Corinthian, the whole Corinthian letter, really, last week. And I really thank you, Larry, if you happen to be watching this. I uh, appreciate it very, very much. Uh, and in his in that context, you know, when Paul writes this letter, he's writing to a, to a church that's in a city that's really fighting its culture. 
I mean, it really has some great applications for us because, uh, I mean, we're, we're fighting our own culture, right, with the things that uh, we struggle with. I mean, we live in a culture that everything is about us. It's about me. It's about mine. It's about I have my rights. You're not going to tell me what to do. <clears throat> me and mine have become verbal symptoms of a spiritual disease of the heart. Everybody's claiming something for themselves. And that selfishness has got a grip on our culture and it reaches its hand in by the, by the work of Satan and tries to grip our church the same way. And we cannot give in to a selfishness like that. That's not who we are. And this is a struggle that the Corinthian church had. So, uh, in, in their, in their disunity, that they're trying to keep unity, they've struggled with uh, raising different leaders above each other. They've struggled uh, with uh, the talents and abilities they have. They're going to struggle uh, with a lot of issues through this book, and he's going to try to pull them all together. And one of the things that they struggled with was how to handle each other when, uh, uh, when they came to different uh, agreements, disagreements about especially in this context, about food that was offered to idols. <coughs> you remember in, uh, last week he talked all about the uh, idols and the food. And so what happened is this food that would go, and part of it would be sacrificed to an idol, part of it would be eaten by the priests, and part of it sometimes would be sold in the temple marketplace. In the temple marketplace, uh, a lot of people, that you could get meat pretty cheap there in the temple marketplace. And so Christians would go there and eat or buy meat there. But others that came out of that culture when they were converted thought, I don't know if I can do that anymore. Because used to when I did that, I mean, all my life I was worshiping an idol. Now I know I can't do that. So there was this big conscious problem about whether I could really do that and still be okay with God. Now, some had kind of come, gotten over that, and others were still struggling with it. And so they get into this principle here about, you know, what do we do when we have this kind of disagreement? So he starts off here, <clears throat> verse 1 through 3, talking about idols and food. And he's going to mention two things, and it's really kind of odd because he doesn't answer it, even though he starts off this way. He's going to start off with knowledge and with love. Let's read here. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The idea puff up is the word for just inflate, just kind of swells up. Okay, that's what knowledge does. Now, knowledge doesn't always do that, right? But he's writing in a context here of how some people take that knowledge as all of a sudden making them better than someone else. So knowledge puffs up, love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. So what he says here basically is that knowledge is incomplete. You think you've got it all down, but you really don't. And when you think you have it all down, guess what? You think because you have this knowledge, all of a sudden you can look down on those that don't have it all down in your mind. Knowledge without love leads to arrogance and legalism. The reason it does is because if I think I'm right all the time, 
and I'm puffed up about it, then I'm going to start making sharp judgments about your life. And all of a sudden, I'm putting myself in the seat of God. And I'm going to start deciding who's in and who's out. May we never be a church that thinks we can make the decisions about who is in and who is out on the kingdom of God. And shame on us if we've had that reputation in the past. I remember one time I heard someone say, My, don't, don't y'all, y'all think y'all are the only ones going to heaven? I said, well, not really because I'm not even sure I'm going to make it. I mean, you know, there was so much guilt and legalism. Are you kidding me? Now, people who live with a legalistic doubt about their own salvation and still condemn other people who disagree with them, is, it's an amazing thing how Satan twists our minds like that. <clears throat> I'm not saying people who doubt are lost. I'm just saying they're not going to enjoy the trip very much. You know what I'm saying? So knowledge does this to people when love is absent. And so this was some of their problem. And so he says, look, knowledge puffs up, but love does something. Love builds up or edifies. It has a foundation you can build upon. So he's going to tell them, look, you've got to practice love over the liberties you think you have by knowledge. Now, why all this knowledge and love stuff? Because the man who loves God, he doesn't say he knows God. The man who loves God is known by God. I believe I'm going to trust God's knowledge over mine. What about you? Then he says this. In verses 4 through 6, he's going to say, Idols mean nothing and God means everything. Now, you can't get much more simpler than that. All right? So then, what about eating food sacrificed to idols? Second time he said it, by the way. Verse 1, then here. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even, there, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, uh, <coughs> yet for us... There is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So, idols mean nothing. They become Christians. They understand the idol. that They don't represent anything. They're nothing. But God, he means everything. He made us all. He means everything. And Jesus Christ is who we have life through. So that's where our focus is. Then why are these idols, things associated with them, still carrying influence in our lives if they don't mean anything? Because you know what? When you've been brought up a certain way all your life and it's your default to think that way, you can't just turn that off instantly. And even though they had been converted and left that in terms of their worship, and they've left, they know that there's no, people who have come to that knowledge to know that idols are nothing, they don't have a problem. But some of those folks came out of that, and still yet, in their mind, it's a real difficult thing for them when they sit down and eat meats that have been offered to these idols. <clears throat> so then, verse 7 and 8, what he's going to tell you, 
Food means nothing, but not everybody understands it. Look what he says. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. You are no worse if you eat this meat offered out and you're no better if you do. You know what he's telling them? Do you guys that have arrived at the knowledge that it's okay to eat meats offered to idols and it doesn't bother you one bit? Look, because you can do that, you're no better off just because you can do that. That doesn't make you closer to God. And for those that don't choose to do it, that, that doesn't make them closer to God either. Kingdom of God's not about what you eat. Look at their struggle. Verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother from whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Okay. I don't think anybody's going to walk out of this room today and go to your... Super Bowl party and eat wings that have been offered to an idol somewhere. Okay? You're like, okay, Mike, I don't understand. What is this? Does this thing have any reference to me whatsoever? Yeah, the principle really does. While we might not be struggling with that, we do struggle. Uh, trying to think through how to say things. I don't want to get in too much trouble. It's okay, Alan can fix everything next week. But uh, is it okay to drink a beer? Just the thought of it makes me want to have a drink of water right now. I noticed y'all didn't jump out there with any big answers real quick. Okay to have a glass of wine? I don't know why that sounds a little bit more softer, you know. Sorry, I grew up in, I grew up a country boy. It's, you know, you're hauling hay and it's hot and sweaty and what you really want was like a Miller pony uh, and a glass, you know, uh, well, never mind. We're not going to go back that far in my life, but <clears throat> what, what I'm telling you is by knowledge of God's word, there is nothing wrong with having a glass of wine with your meal. Now, I know that. I know that from the book. I don't do that. And I sure would not take the liberty to do that, to invite my brother or sister that that's new in the Lord that has come out and uh, just got their blue chip on Friday night and have them over to my house on Saturday night and set a glass of wine in front of them. Are you kidding me? 
and then or or act as if well look to tell them you know really it's okay I, I'm gonna drink it's really okay I mean there's nothing wrong with this and look if they're weak <clears throat> even though they know that's danger because I do it they're the verse says they're emboldened. Uh, I, I've, I've kind of pushed them, encouraged them somehow or another. I've allowed them or kind of pushed them that direction a little bit that they can do this. That's what he says. See, the person with the weak conscience and the immaturity here, they're weak because they can be talked into or drawn quickly into doing that which they think is going to be bad for them or wrong for them in their mind. Now that's how, that's what was happening here with the brothers here. They were eating that meat offered to idols and, and, and doing it right in front of the other brothers who just left that who said, hey, I don't think that's right. But they weren't strong enough to stand up for themselves. Matter of fact, when they saw them, they were emboldened to participate. The weak brother gets talked into by the brother that says, I have the right and liberty to do this. It's okay. Come on and do it. That's the problem. And when you do that, you not only sin against the brother, you sin against, Paul says, Christ himself. You can't do that. This ain't about I have my rights. I have my liberty. I have my freedom to do this. No, freedom is always within the the boundaries of love. Love is always greater and rules over the liberties that we have. Why? Because brothers and sisters are valuable. There's nobody in the body less important than anybody else. It doesn't matter how much knowledge we have. It doesn't make me more important. It doesn't matter. I'm going to use that in some way to belittle people. We can't set up like, well, well, poor, poor people, they, they, they ain't got this down yet. That's okay, you know. Something like somehow or another I'm better than them. Are you kidding? Do you know how many things out of this book I don't have down yet? Who am I that's going to look down on brothers and sisters and act like that I've got it together when they don't? Shame on me. Now, Someone might ask, well, Mike, does that mean every time somebody doesn't want to do something or everybody's offended, there's two people out there that will keep the whole church from going in some direction or doing something or whatever because they don't like something? That's usually kind of where you get into this. Well, here's the problem with that. The weak brother is willing to do it when he thinks it's wrong. Now, the person that puts up a gripe and complain about, well, I don't like it, I ain't going to go do that, I don't think that's right. They're not the weak brother, they're strong. And you can tell they're strong because they come on strong when they gripe and complain, right? Got it? Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. We're not talking about people who just gripe and complain and don't like something one way or another, or who even have a biblical difference, but they're strong enough to stand up and make their argument. The weak brother in this context, he's not standing up and making his argument. He's too weak for that. Matter of fact, he just surrenders under to the, to the other brother that has the liberty and then goes ahead and does what he thinks is wrong. That's a big difference between the person that sits back and gripes and complains about, I don't like the way the church is doing. You shouldn't do that. It offends me. That's not what this verse is talking about. Come on. 
That brother ain't weak. They're just hard to get along with sometimes. But I am too. And we'll wrestle with stuff and we come out all right. But we only can do that when love rules over our rights. Love means everything. You practice love over liberty. Later on in First Corinthians 13, he places that chapter in the right. Some people think, well, that's like an odd place for the, for the uh, uh, chapter on love. No, it's the perfect place. Because it's going to meld together this whole thing of family. Matter of fact, this idea of knowledge here, he's going to bring it up in First Corinthians 13 and say, you know in part, but one day you'll know. He's going to say, if you have all understanding of, of everything, but you don't have love, you're nothing. He's going to pull all this together in that great chapter on love. You'll see some of the same language in 1 Corinthians 13 that you've seen in 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. They're all going to culminate where he's going to say, here's the answer. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Love trumps liberty every time. We're to love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have everything down right in your doctrine. I can't find that verse. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you all do worship service exactly like I do it. No. Can't find that one. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you say it, church. Love one another. That's the sign of God's church. And that's the answer to a person's liberty. It limits the liberty in favor of loving a brother or sister. I sure am glad people love me. When I had a bunch of stuff in the Bible all messed up. When I come in with a lack of knowledge, thinking I had a whole bunch of knowledge. <clears throat> you know, my first, my first Sunday at this church back in the 1970s, it tells you a little bit on the age thing. <clears throat> I walked in, we didn't have this building here, we just had the uh, fellowship center where all you guys are over there, uh, wide awake with your Bibles, taking notes, listening to everything I say. Right? Okay. Uh, I was over there in that old room, and uh, got into a service. We had two services. Percy King preached one of them. Bill preached one of them. I was so fired up, I went to both of them. I mean, I was a new Christian. I was excited, you know. I was working down in the basement of where we had all the kids from the bus ministry hauled in down there. I worked with the kids. Uh, during the Bible class, but my first Sunday here, I hadn't started that yet, and I, I come up, and they, and they, somebody tells me that they have a children's church or something, Bible hour, uh, in another room. And I said, another room? I said, you can't do that. They said, yeah, the, they, they, you know, the adults, they have a time, they take communion down. I said, oh, no, 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 that, is, that ain't right. Someone said, what do you mean it's not right? I read my Bible. The book of Acts. 
They came together into one place. And you're putting them in two. It ain't right. I mean, boy, was I, you know, a theological giant at that point. Of course, I think when I said that in front of Bill Smith, he just kind of, I think he licked his, licked his lips like, all right, here's one I'm fixing to eat alive right here. <laughs> I don't know what I thought. We had two services. That hadn't hit me yet. And what about brothers and sisters all over the world? What about house churches in the New Testament? I hadn't really thought through this argument too well. I just heard it made by one person and... You know, repeated it. Which, by the way, it's not a very healthy way to get your uh, theology. Just listen to a preacher one time repeat what he says. Don't do that to me. I'm, I, for one, if you do it to an old sermon, I might not even believe that anymore. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I'm trying to learn and grow, right? Go to your Bible. Hey. You're smart as I am. Some of you say, well, we know that, Mike. Well, I mean, you're smarter than I am. You can read. You can decide. You can look. But I appreciate so very much my mentors and my teachers loving me Instead of just trying to out-argue me about things that I, they knew I needed to grow. They had some knowledge. They didn't claim to have it all, but they had more knowledge than I did. And they allowed me the time and the grace to keep learning from God's Word. And they did not make me feel less of a person. I'll tell you one other time this happened in my life that I appreciate so much. I was brought up. By the way, we'll deal with this later on in Corinthians about women uh, praying and speaking and all that kind of stuff. And so just get ready to be uncomfortable uh, for some of us. But when you look at it in context, I, I was brought up where basically women didn't say anything in the church. And usually it was one of those verses that women would remain silent, uh, although it's totally out of context when they use it. But that's kind of the way it was. was. And so... Uh, and they couldn't pray. I'd never heard a woman pray in my life, you know, and, uh, till I got here and then, uh, started dating Susan and her folks were from, uh, so her grandparents were from over Transylvania. First of all, she calls me and says, we just had a few dates. She says, you, uh, on the weekend, you want to come over and eat, uh, lunch with my grandparents, uh, and pick me up and, and, and you can bring me back. I said, yeah, where is it? She said, Transylvania. And I laughed. I said, yeah, really, where is it? She said, no, there's actually a Transylvania, Louisiana. I said, really? <laughs> yeah, it's one store and her uncle owned it. So I said, okay, I'm there. And so I drive over there and we sit in her, uh, her grandpa's house. We get ready to eat meal and then they ate good, man. She cooked great. We sat around that big table and he's, <clears throat> He had big, thick glasses on. He looked down around. He, he said, Susan, say grace. And she did. <laughs> and while she's praying, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to take care of this. <laughs> I know this ain't right. 
So I go back and I start studying. And I see verses like when a woman prays, not if, when a woman prays, do it this way. And I see verses that say pray where it includes everybody. And I'm thinking, why, why have I never thought that included all, you know, both genders? I've never really understood why that didn't. But in my mind, it didn't. When Jesus said pray like this, he was just talking to the men? I don't think so. Then I got the, man, I got to wrestling with some verses, you know, and so I, you know, but before I really had kind of come to that thing where I thought I could actually hear a female voice pray, I'm still wrestling with this. And I got it, okay, we can do that, you know, maybe at home, dinner table, but not in a church or a devotional deal. Well, then I go down to Austin, Texas, and I'm down there with a, I preach at the Westover Hills Church, great church. Uh, Rural Lemons was there then, just a great hero of the faith for me. And uh, I went to a house church that night, and one of the leaders there ran, and uh, Ricky and Denise Hayes and Susan and I, we were sitting there, and we had a great Bible discussion. At the end, he said, we're going to just go around and pray for everybody. He said, at our house church here, we just let everybody pray. He said, I, you know, and uh, I, I hope you all are, are comfortable with that. If you're not, we don't have to do it. And I knew Ricky didn't believe that because he was where I was. And I really didn't believe that was right yet either. And now who's going to speak up? You know, Ricky, he won't come to my aid. He makes me speak up. I finally just raised my hand and said, look, I ain't comfortable with that. That's not where I'm at in my study. On, on, and the guy said, no problem whatsoever. I got this. And he, he prayed for the whole group. He pulled me aside. He made sure he loved on me. He said, it's all right if you, we're not on the same place. It's okay. He treated me in such a kind way with grace. And it allowed me time to continue to grow and learn that really what he had the knowledge Biblically to do, he did not run roughshod over me because I did not have that knowledge as of yet. And I'll never forget that he made me feel valuable. He did not belittle me for not being where he was. Love over liberty. We'll never have unity within the body of Christ until we learn to practice love over liberty. I don't always have the right to do what I have the right to do. In a me and my world... We don't win the battle we're fighting any other way than to surrender ourselves. Jesus said it this easy. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. Denying myself is my hardest battle. It's my hardest battle. I was telling our peak of the week class. <clears throat> Susan sent me to the Baskin Robbins to pick up some little gift cards for my grandchildren to mail them for Valentine's Day. And I walked into Baskin Robbins. I should have drove through. I walked in and I saw all those flavors. 
And I'll just tell you, I did not deny myself. Twice. I got two scoops. Boy, if it was just about ice cream, we'd have it made, wouldn't we? But denying myself in all other areas of my life is what's really difficult. I must deny myself and I must love others greater than I love myself. I must value people the way God values people. Practice love over liberty and we can have the unity that God wants us to have. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day together. I thank you, Father, for this church and their patience with me and helping me grow year after year. I thank you, Father, for the diversity that comes within this church. For with that, we help each other grow. Father, I pray that I would never, never practice liberties or freedom in a way that would cause a brother to give in and sin against his own conscience. Please help me to be aware of others. And Father, I pray that I'll not pursue knowledge in such a way that it puffs up and inflates our arrogant hearts, but that I only pursue it to know you better and that coming to a knowledge that you know me and you love me. Our greatest command was not to gain more knowledge about you, but to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. Bless us as we practice that simple but many times difficult verse. This commandment of love. Thank you, Father, for the grace and love you have for us at the cross. And may the gospel stay the center of all we do. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said, Amen. Amen. If you have a need to respond today, you can do so while we stand and sing.